As you're giving money this morning, you should probably know that we have with us this morning one of the recipients of the good graces that you shower down on the Lord's body when you give. Lee and Sabra are here this morning from Lloyd Minster. And Lee is the preacher there at the Lloyd Minster Church of Christ. And for over a decade now, our church has been supporting him and his work, or the work in Lloyd Minster. He hasn't been there for all that time, but uh, has been supporting that work. And we are so grateful that we have a chance to do that. And Lee is going to, I think, meet with some folks later on. But for right now, he's going to come and just share with us for a moment or two uh, about preaching in Lloyd Minster and about the sharing of our work in that. Good morning and, and greetings from the church in Lloyd Minster. It's, uh, it's really been too long, uh, too long since Sabra and I have been privileged to come uh, and assemble with you and, and bow our knees before our Lord Jesus Christ and worship. Um, it's, it's been a while since we've been here, and it's a privilege uh, to be here with you guys. Uh, thank you for your generosity. Uh, thank you for your hospitality. We especially appreciate the hospitality at the Carter's home last night. And um, I begin five minutes to speak, and I've got three points I want to get through in five minutes, so I'll get right to them. Uh, first thing, something to celebrate. Last Friday night, uh, Travis Moreland was baptized into Christ just a few days ago. And uh, we're celebrating that. It was a nice little parting gift uh, as we come this way. Uh, Travis is the son of Sean and Winona Moreland. And Winona Moreland is the daughter of Dennis and Karen Williams, the granddaughter of uh, Dan and Dorothy Weebs. So that maybe makes some connections for you people. Uh, Sean and Winona Moreland are good friends of ours, and it's been a privilege to walk in their journey of faith with them. Sean is one of those bright lights in my life uh, for me and encourages me as I seek to minister to people in Lloydminster. Sean has, has been one of those bright lights for me. So that's something to celebrate. Uh, something to pray for. A young Travis will have a struggle ahead of him. Um, Travis is 12, and he will know loneliness in Christ. Uh, Travis has no peers his age in the church in Lloydminster, and he will know what it is uh, to, to hang on to faith in the, in the midst of trials. Um, this is reality in a small congregation. Our congregation is a small group, you might say. And sometimes as we gather to sing and as we gather to pray and as we gather to, to uh, assemble around the table of our Lord, and sometimes it's easier to see despair than hope. And sometimes it's easier to think of death and not life and um, to forget who we are what the supper reminds us of, that we are the people of God and we are the people who he's given life to, life back from the dead. You know, faithfulness um, is, de- is determined in, in sticking it with it for the long haul and having hope against hope in believing in the God who, who raises the dead. Uh, that reminds me of Abraham. Abraham was 25 Years waiting. Uh, 25 years later, hope was born. And so one of the things that you can pray for 
is that a small group of believers in Lloydminster would step out under the canopy of the night sky from time to time and look up to the heavens as did Abraham and think of possibilities because we serve the God who majors in possibility. And especially remember young Travis and his journey, that he would would find uh, richness of faith and support in our little community. So something to celebrate, something to pray for, something to be thankful for. We're here today on behalf of the church in Lloydminster to give, express our gratitude to you folks for your long-term support. Um, our little congregation could not support a full-time minister. I could not do the work I do without your support. And so you richly bless us. Uh, your, your gift is, is a beacon of hope for us. It's, it's light in a, in a dark world sometimes. And so we so appreciate that. And, and we just give you thanks that you have uh, determined uh, year after year to continue supporting us. In our little uh, Sunday morning Bible class, we've been studying through 1 Thessalonians. We've got it all wrapped up. And as that letter uh, comes to a close, Paul has a list of imperatives. You know, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that there. And I asked the, the group to think about those imperatives and, and what it is that speaks directly to you and what you can do in your own life to meet those imperatives, those commandments that Paul gives there. And the ones that meet me especially are these. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We're still working that out. And we do give you thanks for your support. May God profoundly bless you. We receive your gifts as gifts from God. Thank you. You know, the Patmores are, uh, are worthy servants of Christ who have continually uh, done so for a long time. So we're grateful that Lee and Sabre can be with us today and uh, grateful for their work. And we just pray God's blessings upon you uh, for as long as the Lord allows. It's absolutely wonderful. One of the things I love about churches with our historical background is that we've been a group of people known for a particularly strong position when it comes to the importance of Christian baptisms. It's one of the things that I love about Churches of Christ. Next slide, please. One of the things I intensely dislike about our churches with our historical background is that we've been a group of people known for a particularly strong position when it comes to the importance of Christian baptism. And I hope you catch the nuance there. Like, I'm really grateful for the importance that we give to the place of baptism because I think that the New Testament gives an important place to baptism. But sometimes it drives me crazy that that's the only thing we're known for. And I won't say it's the only thing we're known for, but sometimes it feels like that's the only thing that we're known for. And so we've not always been known, for example, for the way that we exemplify the fruit of the Spirit. It's not always been our love toward others. It's not always been our unity. It's not always been our loving kindness. 
It's not always been our graciousness or our benevolent spirits or our holiness. It's not been our love for the lost or our care for the hurting or our embracing of the disenfranchised or our acceptance of the outcast by which we have been known. But our particularly strong position when it comes to the importance of Christian baptism is what we're known for. That's a tragedy. I thank God, I thank Jesus, I thank the Spirit for the stance that we have on Christian baptism. I think it's biblical. But I'm also thankful to God, to His Son Jesus, to the Spirit, that what we are becoming known for is changing. I pray it is. I really hope that we become known for something other than some particular stance like baptism. And that instead people see us as this loving group of Christians who cares for the lost, cares for the world, takes care of those who are needy. Now, nonetheless, even though that's all the case, this morning I'm going to focus on Christian baptism and its role within the church. When we began our series on the Holy Spirit, we made a decision back then that we would, from time to time, focus on some issues that were really central to our life as a church. And so we focused, for example, at one point during the fall on family life and on marriage. And we took a moment and talked about mission and what it means for us to reach out to the lost. We talked one Sunday about the Lord's Supper. And focused on that. And so this morning, we're doing kind of that kind of thing. We're going to be focusing specifically on baptism. Because it's one of those elements that is absolutely central to our faith as Christians. And here's the kind of thing that I mean when I say that. We believe, and this comes right out of our what we believe statement for our church. We believe that every person believing in Jesus Christ is to repent of his or her sins. Confess Jesus Christ as Lord, be baptized by immersion in water, and live a life committed to Jesus Christ as outlined in the New Testament. That's one of, if you look at our website and you went to the place where what do we believe, you would see that's one of the 12 things that we say is basically a non-negotiable for our church. And it specifically says that being baptized by immersion in water is one of those things that we believe every person coming to Jesus should do. And so this morning, there's one thing I want to do or want to say, and that is, if you haven't been baptized, if you're a person who has come to Christ perhaps in faith, but you have not put him on in baptism, I want you to take seriously the teaching of the New Testament this morning. Because I would say, in fact, that if you've not been baptized, something is missing from your faith commitment to Jesus Christ. Now that's a pretty strong statement. To say to people, hey, this is something you should seriously consider. You should seriously consider coming over here and putting on a set of our scrubs and climbing down into this thing with me or someone else one day and getting into the water and getting all wet, maybe right in front of a whole bunch of people. But I'm absolutely serious. I think that's something that you should consider if you haven't done that yet. And there are at least a couple of reasons why I think that that's really important for everybody to do and certainly for you. 
And part of that is simply because there is, as I said, something missing for those who are unbaptized. And the first is this. It's because baptism is a commanded step in the conversion process of a believer in Jesus Christ. And it came right out of the passage that Darcy read this morning. And Darcy, I don't know, we didn't collaborate on that. So I don't know if he got that from talking to Michael that we were talking about baptism this morning or what. But Acts 2.38 specifically says it. There are some people there who have listened to Peter preach about who Jesus is. And when they're cut to the heart and they can't believe that they have crucified the Lord of glory, they say to Peter, what should we do? What are we going to do in response to this? We find ourselves sinful before God. How is it that we should respond in light of the sinfulness that is ours before God? And Peter gives them an answer, which I absolutely think holds for Christians for all time. I think it fits for everybody. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive, he says, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is for you and for your children and for all whom are, who are all far off, the, forever whom the Lord our God will call. And it, it's pretty clear there, because these are imperatives that are given in the sentence that this is a command. And if you were to look at that text right now, one of the things that you would find it saying, in addition to everything else, it says, every one of you. That's interesting. Do you know what those words mean in the Greek? In the Greek, they mean every one of you. It's the same thing in Greek as it is in English. That's why they translate it that way in English. And the text says that every person coming to Jesus Christ is, from what I can tell, obligated, commanded, more than encouraged to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It's for every person who believes. And from what I can tell, there are no exceptions to everyone. Like if I said to you right now, everyone stand up. Now I've just said that, so it's not like if I said it. I said it, okay? Everyone stand up. Thank you very much. Now sit down. <laughs> Which of you did I exclude when I said every one of you? None. Every one of you means all of you each person within a hearing of my voice. And that's exactly how Peter said that, and that's exactly what he meant. Every one of you. And so the word every one means every person is to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And the fact is that you can't obediently and fully come to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and not be baptized in the process. The New Testament simply knows nothing of unbaptized Christians. In fact, in Acts chapter 10, where Cornelius receives the Spirit before his baptism, Peter, when he notices that the Holy Spirit has come on the Gentiles as a verification that the Gentiles can indeed come to Christ, he says to them, they should be baptized immediately. And they are. Because the New Testament simply knows nothing about unbaptized 
Christians. And so everything that I know about God tells me that his commands are to be kept and that this is something we should do. And I think Acts 2.38 makes that absolutely clear. Now, at the same time, I would say that while that is a reason to be baptized, it's not the strongest reason. And you might think, well, that's odd. How can we talk about obeying or not obeying a command of God and have that not be the strongest reason? Well, it's because God ultimately isn't as concerned about command keeping as we sometimes think he is. Because God is concerned about our life in him more than he's concerned about us keeping commands. And so another reason, and I think even greater than the first, is because of the blessings and benefits of Christian baptism. Why does God tell us to be baptized? Because there are so many blessings that come with the act of Christian baptism. He wants us to enjoy all of those blessings, and so he gives us the command, not because he just wants us to jump through hoops, but because he knows that in this act, there is something that will happen for every person coming to Christ that we all need and that he wants us to have. And so what I've done this morning is I've just made a list of a whole bunch of scriptures. And I really encourage you, if, like if this is on your mind at all, I encourage you to write these down. I'm going to give you lots of time to do so. I'm just going to put these up. I'm going to make a few comments about each one. We won't turn to them because we don't have time. But write these down, if this is on your mind at all, and go home and look at them and see if there isn't something compelling about every one of these references when it comes to their link to Christian baptism. First one is simply this, John chapter 3, verses 3 and 5. This is where Nicodemus comes to talk to Jesus at night. And they're having a discussion. And Jesus says to him a couple of different times, you must be born of the water and the spirit in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. There are sometimes different arguments people give about why this is or is not Christian baptism. I'm absolutely convinced that it is. You read the rest of the chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4 in the Gospel of John, and it's all about baptism. And so I think the rest of the chapter actually is kind of a sign and an indicator of what Jesus was talking about in chapter 3, verses 3 and 5. And so to be born of the water and the Spirit, Jesus says, is absolutely crucial. I believe that it is. Every person should be doing this. We receive blessings of heaven, he says, when water and spirit are part of our lives together in Christ. Acts 2.38, we've already read it. The text links specifically the remission of sins and the act of baptism. One repents, you believe, you come to Christ, you're baptized, the remission of sins takes place. And I think there's a link there. Sometimes we get caught up in the question of, well, is baptism absolutely necessary then? And what happens to the unbaptized? I don't want to talk about that question this morning. It seems to me a completely wrong kind of question. I don't understand why Christians would be saying, well, is that necessary? Or what about those who aren't baptized? What needs to happen is that we all just honor the gift of baptism and do what Jesus has asked us to do. And Peter here tells us that there's a connection between the remission of sins and the act of baptism. I'm not saying specifically and alone. Repentance is part of that. It's part of the whole conversion process, but it's definitely associated to remission of sins. We need to recognize that and see the value of it. It also links baptism specifically in this passage with the coming of the Holy Spirit into our lives. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is not just for you, but it's also for your children. 
and for all who are far off, whomever the Lord our God will call. That tells me that for generations, baptism is going to somehow be linked to the coming of the Spirit into a person's life. You're telling me I don't have the Holy Spirit if I hadn't been baptized? I am telling you that there's a sense in which the Holy Spirit comes to Christians because of the act of baptism in their lives. And that you can't have the Holy Spirit in that way, not in the way of Acts 2.38, unless baptism is somehow part of what you've done. And so I encourage people to be baptized for no other reason than this link that comes with the Holy Spirit and baptism. That seems to me a no-brainer when you read Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Acts chapter 22, verse 16, and Titus 3.5. The word washing is used in both of these passages. There is a cleansing that takes place. In Acts 22.16, the passage says, Arise, or get up, and wash away your sins in the act of baptism. And Titus 3.5 says essentially the same thing. We've been washed into a rebirth, a renewal in Jesus Christ. Clearly a reference to baptism. And so new life begins when a person is washed in this act of baptism. Galatians 3.26 and 27. The first part of that verse talks about how we are all sons of God, specifically because of our baptism. So there's a relationship, a child and father relationship that actually is formed and takes place because of the act of baptism. The rest of the verse talks about how we're clothed with Christ in the act of baptism. Remember one time watching a debate go on between a Baptist and a Church of Christ guy. They were talking about baptism and whether or not it was really important for salvation. And the Church of Christ guy said, well, I think we need to be baptized and be clothed with Christ. And the guy said, well, I don't think that's very necessary. And, and the Church of Christ guy said, well, how is it then that we're going to be clothed with Christ according to the New Testament? And I think that's a legitimate question. If this is what clothes you with Christ, and I don't know all that that means, but I know that I want it. I know that I want to be absolutely covered up and clothed with Christ, and that Acts 20, or that Galatians 3, 26 and 27 says that through the act of baptism, one is clothed with Christ, and I want that. 1 Peter 3, 21 and 22 this passage is so interesting because if you were to look at it, it actually says, the words are in there, like unto this, baptism now saves you. Now, I don't believe for a moment that a person is saved by baptism only. But for us to not see some kind of connection between the life that we have in Christ and the act of baptism, when Peter specifically says that baptism now saves you, We'd be crazy not to see it. The passage goes on and talks about how there is a declaration of a pure conscience before God that takes place in the act of Christian baptism. And I would like to think that I have a pure conscience before God, not because I live perfectly, (laughs) far from it, but because through the act of baptism, there's a cleansing that takes place in my life that allows my conscience to be pure. Not because of anything I've done, but only because I've been purified and cleansed by him. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4 talk about how we're buried with Christ. There's an identification. I love the notion of identification in this passage. There's identification here between the believer in Jesus and the death of Jesus and then the resurrection of Christ from the dead. 
It's exactly what Paul says. We identify with Christ, just like going down into the watery grave of baptism and coming out from that grave of baptism in resurrection of life. And you and I need that. I want to be identified with Christ through the act of baptism. And it takes place there. I love the notion of identification. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 simply says that we are all baptized into one body when we're baptized by Christ into the Holy Spirit. And so the unity of the body of Christ clearly comes and is somehow joined to the act of Christian baptism. When Darcy mentioned just a moment ago that we, are, we enter into a community and that the notion of communion is celebrated even in Acts 2.38 as we celebrate baptism, he's absolutely right. We enter into baptism and we join a body. We're added to the body of Christ. And there's communion that takes place because of the act of Christian baptism. And again, baptized into the Spirit is present in that passage. And you just can't avoid the connection between the coming of the Spirit into the life of a believer and the act of Christian baptism. And then finally, the last passage I'll mention this morning, Matthew three thirteen through 17, simply talks about the baptism of Jesus itself. It says that Jesus was baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness. And I would like to do the same thing. And so there's, again, a parallel and an identity between what I do when I'm baptized and what Jesus himself does. So my point with all of this is that baptism is some kind of transformational act. It's not just a symbol. It's not just the washing of dirt from the flesh, as Peter says. It's not just external. It's way more than that. It's way more than an outward sign of an inward grace. We sometimes hear that language in evangelicalism. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward grace. That's not actually the way the Bible puts it. It's more than that. It puts us in touch with the Father, with Jesus, with the Spirit in a way that nothing else does. It initiates a process of obedience and growth that is lifelong. And we all need to receive, I think, the power of that transformation within us. Catholics like to talk about baptism as being a sacrament. It's a sacramental act. And I think there's something to that that is a sacred act where the Spirit does something through the power of this participation with Jesus. And we need all to enter into that act. Well, uh, I've been pretty transparent this morning. When I read the New Testament, I ask the question about what a convert to Jesus Christ should do in response to his or her belief in Christ. And baptism seems to me like it is absolutely part of the process. And as I said earlier, this is for every one of us. I just don't see, if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, "Eh, I don't know, should I be baptized or not? I don't see how you could even ask the question. Because God calls those who believe in Jesus to go through this act. And so I want to uh, comment here just at the end about the hesitancy that people sometimes have about being baptized. People often say, I've heard this many times, I'm just not ready to be baptized. And they talk and act as if there's a certain level of righteousness, uh, a level of understanding. Maybe they're supposed to know their Bible better or something before they participate in that act. Now, I will say that it's a big step. 
And we all need to take seriously the act, consider it seriously before we take that step. And so I, I, I agree at one sense with the, the notion of the her, uh, hesitancy. It needs to be taken seriously. But the real point is not to be hesitant about coming to Jesus. The real point is to think seriously about the commitment. And once you make the commitment to Jesus, there's simply no reason why you shouldn't be baptized. And so I would say something like this. The real question, the question is not, are you ready to be baptized? The question is, are you ready to give your life to Christ as a Christ follower, as a Christian? Are you ready to be a Christian? Because being a committed Christian and being baptized go hand in hand. They're part of the same thing. And if you're going to be hesitant about being baptized, it's not any different than saying, I'm hesitant about being a Christian. And if you say, I'm ready to be a Christian, then you're ready to be baptized. Because these go hand in hand. So I want to say, for those of you, for anybody here, who has not yet taken this step, or for anybody who's going to talk to somebody else about taking this step, help them to see, I want you to see, the importance of this act. Are you ready to be a Christian? If you are, then you're ready to take the initial step of baptism, the new birth into Jesus Christ. And I encourage you to take that step. If by chance you're ready for that, come and talk to me today. Talk to one of the elders, talk to Dustin, talk to Michael. We can do it today, we can do it tonight, we can do it tomorrow, we can do it right now. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the blessing and gift we have in the act of Christian baptism. Father, I want to thank you for a heritage that has accentuated that among us. Our theology is strong at this point, and I'm so grateful for that. I sometimes grieve, God, that we're recognized for that and not for some other things. But I'm grateful, God, that we've taken the position we have. And I pray that you bless us as we continue to teach others the value, first of all, of believing and coming to you, and then the value of being immersed in your name when we come. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen.